<clears throat> so today we're moving on to the sixth um, path factor, which is uh, right effort. Very, very important aspect of the path and the practice. And uh, there's the quality, there's different ways of approaching it. So there's a quality of right effort in terms of attuned effort, you know, not over-efforting and not being too slack, which is a, which is a constant exploration, a little bit like I was saying about you know, the, the musician tuning the strings of their, of their instrument or a drummer with, their, with the, the skin or whatever it is of the drum. You need to, to know what the environment your mind is, is in, what, what kind of uh, climate the mind is, and then adjust accordingly. So sometimes we need to tighten things up, sometimes we need to relax a little bit. And if we have an idea of what we should be doing, um, it can be that we, uh, we just keep missing that, that, that middle place again and again. So I noticed for myself, there was this idea of like, okay, I'm meditating, so therefore I should be cultivating calm. And then actually, I was already a little bit dull. So trying to cultivate calm when you're already a bit dull, it, it leads to, to being asleep, basically. So you need to notice, like, am I a bit sleepy? Then I need to cultivate energy. Or am I, a little, am I really agitated, you know, just too much energy, I don't know what to do with myself? <sighs> Start to breathe out more, cultivate more calm. So we need to know where we're starting from, not some ideal of what we'd like to be, you know, sitting there in a deep state of concentration and... We've got to start from where we are, not from a from an idea or an ideal. So it uh, it does involve actually right right view, right, so seeing clearly, and also the part of right view is not having a, a strong sense of identity. So if you have a strong sense of identity, it's like me, the meditator who should be or who used to be, you know, able to get these wonderful states. Um, it can be an obstacle to our practice in the moment. So we need more to just to just look. What's going on here and now? What, what, what's happening here right now? And from here, what do I want to do? Where do I go? Does there need to be more energy or, or less? So that's uh, one aspect of the of right effort. And the, another aspect of right effort is uh, the fourfold right effort, which probably most people here know, but I'll say it anyway. So um, the effort to prevent unwholesome states from arising that haven't yet arisen. And the effort to abandon unwholesome states that have arisen. And then the effort to arouse wholesome states that haven't yet arisen. And the effort to maintain wholesome states that have already arisen. So, uh, so preventing, abandoning, arousing and maintaining and uh, you know, often we can't uh, we can't catch it the the moment before an unwholesome state arises. Often we're right in the in the throes of it before we know it's it's even you know in the peripheries of our mind. And uh, so, if we find our mind filled with unwholesome states, you know what the the what's the the wrong effort would be to justify it blame other people for it, blame external conditions for it, um, get it going a bit stronger, you know, that would be um, kind of taking you off the path. So we want to see when it, if an unwholesome state has arisen, 
We want to see it for what it is and then know the the consequences of, of dwelling in that state or, or acting or speaking from that state so that there's, there's clarity. And basically the, the unwholesome states that we're trying to prevent and to abandon are the five hindrances. So uh, sensual desire, like letting the mind be lost, flooded with sensual desire. Um, it can seem on a retreat, you know, you're just sitting doing nothing and then I'll just allow the mind to, you know, dwell in some pleasant fantasies, it's harmless enough, you know, not doing anything. You know, on, in, on some level you're not doing anything actively harmful, but the mind is um, pulled off track. So the, the Pali word for, um, for lust is raga, it's a good word, raga. And uh, the Pali word for the cooling of that lust is viraga. And viraga literally means, uh, so raga means that what, what you see, so, you, so there's like clear seeing and then there's seeing with raga. And raga is like a, a colouring, like imagine if you're sort of seeing through with, with red lenses on your glasses or something like that. So you see things more exciting than they really are. And viraga is when that colouring fades away and you just see things purely as they are, there's, there's clarity. So... Uh, this is the first of the unwholesome states that we need to watch out for, that, that uh, you know, can arise. And then um, ill will. Ill will has quite a, quite a broad umbrella. So of, you know, it's, like it's an umbrella term for quite a number of different things. So there can be um, just like a, a sort of grumbliness, a general low-grade irritation or um, an out-and-out um, strong aversion to oneself or to others, or to situations that one's in. Um, a fear actually comes under that. Fear sort of comes under two things in a way. But fear is, is part of that. It's like not wanting, wanting things to be different. And, uh, you know, out-and-out hatred is a very strong and painful experience. So these are the states we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to, we want to, if we can, prevent them from arising. So uh, I kind of feel like I have to qualify that as soon as I say it, because of course things arise, you know. So I, I had a retreat many years ago where I spent about six weeks of the retreat dwelling with presence, presence with, not, not feeding, but presence with a sense of hatred towards somebody who'd harmed me quite deeply. And it was, it, it, you know, it actually felt like a wholesome experience because the awareness was with the hatred. The hatred was allowed to arise, be present, be felt like a poison in the system. And it gradually, gradually worked itself out and, and then it was gone. So if you're really using, you know, the right effort and right awareness, right mindfulness, there's not feeding that. You're not feeding it, you're not wanting to act on it, you're not going to you're not adding to it, but you're, it's coming up because it's kind of there in the system and it needs to be released. So that, that can be part of, of what happens when we're, when we're sitting in meditation. Um, the sensual desire doesn't work quite like that. <laughs> sensual desire tends, like if you just sort of allow it and let it, let it fill your mind, it, it's likely to just kind of get stronger and stronger. So I wouldn't recommend that practice. <laughs> but uh, with ill will, also you don't want to feed it, but sometimes 
it needs a bit of space to be heard and felt and then let go of. But we don't want to be cultivating ill will. So I notice that sometimes people create a, a personality around being an aversive, you know. It's like, it's, 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 and it can be quite a strong, you know, you can feel quite strong and, and somebody as an aversive because there's you against everybody else or against them. Or, so it can create a strong sense of identity. Um, but it's not the path. So it's taking you in the wrong direction. So, get, so just being honest when, with when, there, when there's ill will present in the heart and mind. And uh, knowing that uh, unless you're, you're really purifying something old that needs to be cleared out, dwelling in ill will is, is going to lead to dukkha for yourself and, and for others. So uh, learning how to prevent that arising. And, um, and then when those uh, states, uh, let me say a little bit more, and then there's the, so the first two aspects of the hindrances, they're the strongest really, the very, very strong and most harmful qualities. And then there's uh, sleepiness and dullness, sloth and torpor. So dullness of mind and, and dullness of body, which I know a lot of people here are familiar with from the discussion groups. So uh, again, you know, sometimes we come on retreat and we're tired and then you just need to rest and that's fair enough, you know, when you're tired you need to rest. And so if, you're, if that's the case, then go and have a rest and then get up and when you get up, be up and awake don't try and sort of, you know, make it all the same, because it isn't. Um, and then there's just the sort of the dullness of not being really present, or of not being really interested. Or, if, or sometimes when there is something strong that, that, that's, that we know we have to meet, if we, get, if we get quiet, it's a bit scary, and so we just dull out instead. So just knowing that and, 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 being, and getting clarity around that, and then seeing if you can sharpen up the practice. For me, the, the most uh, useful way of combating that, if that's a bit of a strong word, is um, to use the contemplation of death with the breath. So if I'm sleepy and dull, to, as I breathe in, to contemplate, this could be my last breath. Not just as a, not as a, as a concept, but a, like this could be actually my last breath. So to with the in breath, just to have that reflection, and it it does sharpen things up, because the yeah, try it, <laughs> because the dullness comes from this sense of plenty of time, you know, yeah, another ten days, oh my goodness, you know, and or another however many days it is, six or four or five, I'm not sure now, and uh, exactly in the middle, okay. So the, it, it, come, it, it can come from that sense of um, me having lots of time, you know. So this could be my last breath cuts right through that in the moment. So you could explore that. And then uh, restlessness and worry. So fear, I feel, also has that. It's, it's, it's both the aversion and the restlessness and worry together. And uh, so, knowing when the knowing restlessness, as restlessness and worry is worry, is a, is a hindrance. So we tend to get caught in it as a reality and as a self, 
and uh, it is just a hindrance that has arisen. And then uh, generally it's, it's, it's too much energy in the system that it hasn't got anywhere to go, and then it just reverberates and reverberates and reverberates, and, and then goes go around and around the mind of all the things that are, might go wrong or you know have gone wrong. Or, and uh, so learning how to ground, how to settle, how to get back into the body, to feel your bones, to feel the weight of your body as you sit on your seat. So to, to kind of come back into contact with the, the earthiness of this existence. And that can help to settle the worry and the, the uh, restlessness, agitation. And uh, another death practice in, in relation to worry and agitation is the same reflection. This could be my last breath, but with the out-breath, not with the in-breath. The in-breath will just get you more and more anxious. But with the out-breath, it's like, you know, just let it all go. Let it all go. We've never really been in control anyway. It's all been a bit of a farce, hasn't it? We think we are, and life does what it does. And so... So letting go with the out-breath, this could be my last breath. You can try that. And, uh, and then the fifth hindrance of doubt, which takes us around and around in circles. And the, the problem with doubt is that we think if we keep following it, it will get us somewhere, but it just keeps us going around and around and around. So uh, with doubt, we want to... Um, the most useful thing is to just cut it to just stop stop going around in those thoughts and come back to the breath. Because the, the thoughts aren't going to take you anywhere you want to go, so just leave that behind and come back to the breath. The real wisdom arises from the silence, not from just a lot of thinking. So just trust that going back into the silence will, if you need to know something, that's where the wisdom is going to come from. So uh, learning how to prevent those five hindrances from arising, and and also like we might get to know my, you know, what what's your character? Are you an aversive? Do you have aversive leanings? Do you have uh, um, kind of greedy leanings? Do you have uh, confusion leanings, or maybe a nice mix of those? And um, and it's just getting to know where are you starting from. So then you need to take special care around the ones that you know you lean towards. So if you don't have much of a leaning towards aversion, then, but you have a lot of sensual desire and, and a lot of confusion, then you need to take special care of restraining the senses. You know, don't just let your, your attention wander wherever it wants to go. Rein it in. Take care around it. Uh, if you have a strong leaning towards ill will, make effort to, to, to transform that. As I was saying in the, uh, the evening of the, of the Q&A, that, although I'm jumping a little bit here, to uh, transform the anger or the fear into metta, for example, in the heart. And as we start to do that, then we're changing the, the patterning of our habits, you know, of our mind. So we learn to prevent those uh, hindrances arising and abandon them once they have arisen. And that's a, a really interesting one because we can be so attached to being, to holding a view that's right and, or that's, that that person really is 
whatever, da, da, da. you know, we're, we're in this aversive state and we're so identified with it because it feels, it feels like me. <laughs> it feels like something. So it's, it's kind of, it, it feels more, um, even though it is actually very, very uncomfortable, it feels more comfortable to, to hold that than to just let go. So, but the Buddha is saying, let, <coughs> let go, let go. Abandon those unwholesome states. And even if you're in mid-sentence, you know, and you realize what you're doing, just drop it, if you can. It's a, it's a, a, a high practice, a difficult practice, and a very good practice. So uh, I think in, in this context, most of it's just going on in the mind, because we're not talking to each other. <laughs> but when you get uh, back into your daily lives, there'll be much more opportunity to practice that with other people. Um, and then arousing wholesome states. So, uh, like the Brahma Viharas are a, a great um, toolkit, you could say, to, to use for arousing wholesome states. And, uh, you know, you don't have to wait until an, un- until, an un- until an unwholesome state has arisen in order to cultivate a wholesome state. You can do it any time. So just sitting down when you've got a bit of time, cultivating metta, cultivating karuna, cultivating mudita, cultivating upeka. It's, uh, you know, you don't have to wait until things are already off track because uh, then you've got, so you've, got a, you've got a more of a, you've got, it becomes a, like a wellspring actually in, in the heart. The more you practice it, the more accessible it is. You can just dip into that much more easily. And uh, also the seven awakening factors are, uh, uh, you know, like a, a, they're, they're actually a, a complete, um, it's, it's a way of transforming the hindrances. So the first of those, and they're going to be written up on the board, so you can check them later, but the first is mindfulness, sati, which we're all familiar with. And then uh, investigation of states, so being interested in what's going on here. So, uh, so it takes mindfulness to turn towards this and, and know, and then just to be interested. What's going on here? What is this? You know, is this wholesome or unwholesome? Is there, is there an absence of, of what is unwholesome? Sometimes it's, you know we might not be generating boundless meta, but we've but there's nothing kind of harmful going on. That's beautiful. That's to be noticed and appreciated. So. Um, Investigation of state, mindfulness, investigation of states, energy. So the energy to stay with whatever's, to stay with what we're we're looking at. So we don't just like notice it and then back to the old habit, but the energy to stay with it. It's like a sustaining energy. And then from that, if we're really doing that in a, in a present way, joy arises. So I've experienced joy simultaneously with um, sorrow, for example, because there's a sense of you know, there, might, there might be like a certain sort of pain in the heart and sorrow, and and then there's mindfulness and then interest, and then um, the energy to stay with it, and then there's the sorrow, and there's the knowing of the sorrow, and there's a kind of a joy that arises at the same time. It's like oh, it's interesting. So it, it's not that we have to wait until it's all, everything's tidy before we experience those awakening factors, but they're, they're to, to turn the mind towards in the moment.
Um, so those are so um, investigation, energy, and joy are the energizing, the three energizing factors. So again, if we're dull and sleepy, and um, bring in those three factors, mindfulness it always comes with them. And then uh, the other, the last three of the seven factors are tranquility, so calming, concentration, collecting, and equanimity. Uh, having space for, I would like to call it that, having room for what is happening. So those are calming factors. And, uh, you know, obviously if you're already a bit dull, you don't want to go there because you'll go to sleep. But if there's too much energy, if you're, too, if you're agitated, bring them in, those three, three qualities. So calming, uh, collecting, and giving space for what is present. So we can arouse those wholesome states. And, and sati, mindfulness in and of itself, is, is a wholesome state. Uh, Samasati. So even just bringing mindfulness to what is going on here and now is it's already wholesome. So you can be in the throes of something unwholesome, bring mindfulness to it, it's already transforming. You're already back on the path. So... Uh, because the because the mindfulness is knowing what is what is arising now. So then, so we arise, arouse those states, and then maintain them. So that's the this is the practice. Maintaining wholesome states. So in the moment, and also uh, over a lifetime, cultivating and maintaining wholesome states. And as we do this, you know, we're transforming the me that is you know, fearful, aversive, greedy, confused, uh, you know, any or all of those things, gradually it's, it's transforming into present, clear, leaning towards wholesome, you know, uh, more and more awake. So they're, they're the awakening factors, they lead to enlightenment. So the Eightfold Path is a path that leads to enlightenment. The seven awakening factors lead to enlightenment, little by little by little. So you know, we we don't have to look for the big kind of wow experience, but little by little we're transforming the direction of our hearts and minds. So I'll just go say so again: it's the the four right efforts to prevent unwholesome states that have not yet arisen, to abandon unwholesome states that have already arisen to arouse wholesome states that have not yet arisen and to maintain wholesome states that have already arisen. Okay. So I hope there's not too much information there. It's actually going in. Equanimity, so it's just one way of saying it. So equanimity, there's been a few questions about equanimity actually. Can we say more about that? I'm going to say more later. Because uh, I want to focus on, I don't want to get too much into one aside thing, but um, equanimity, <coughs> it's, it's not about trying to get a, a perfect balance all the time, because that's not possible, because life is changing, there are ups and downs all the time. But it's about um, knowing that there are, you know, knowing that the ups and downs of life, knowing that there's birth, there's aging, there's death, and they, that they all belong together, that there's... Uh, there's success and there's failure, and they 
come along together. You know, you generally don't get one in a, you know, you don't, generally don't get through a whole life only having one of those. You know, there's success and there's failure, there's, um, there's gain and there's loss. We have to let go of what we, what we gain. It's, it's inevitable. And, uh, and there's, there's, uh, happiness and there's sorrow. There's, uh, pleasure and pain. You know, it's, it's just like seeing the whole picture. Because this world that we live in has all of those, those dualities. They, they, and, and the society that we live in tells us, look for the nice bits, go for the good bits. As though you can have the good bits without the other half. You can't. It's not possible. So equanimity is knowing that that's, that's the whole picture. You take it all in. And so you can still enjoy the successes, but you know, you know, it's just for a while. And then see what comes next, you know. Um, and uh, one of the images I like is is of a is like having a bird's eye view. So I have a friend who's a Sanskrit scholar, and she translated it from the Sanskrit. And she said, uh, uh, she at least her her translation of it was, uh, "Upeka was like a bird's eye view of what's going on. So you can see what's going on. You're you're aware of it, but you're not caught up in it." And I, I really like that image because uh, uh, also some birds, particularly birds of prey, actually they can they can have a big perspective and then they can hone right in as well. So so you might uh, be able to have both of those. But the the bird's eye view I find very uh, a lovely image for upeka because if we're trying to make everything balanced, you know, it's just like we're creating stress for ourselves. But if we're a little bit got a little bit of space, then yeah, some good, some bad, some nice, some not so nice, some success, some failure. Mm-hmm. You know, been born, gonna die. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's kind of okay. Yeah. So that's uh, Upeka. So I'd like to end with another poem, if you will indulge me, of the Terigata. And this is Patachara's 30 Students. So Patachara being an enlightened nun, and this is uh, one of her students um, remembering a teaching that she gave. Farmers take grain from the earth and branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are all like unripe grain. Take time to grow. Then leave the ground behind and let your husks be stripped away. I promise, less is more. So Patachara told us. So we sat on the ground like unripe grain. We gave ourselves to the path, and the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is. True peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness we had for so long been calling our whole world. So we have about half hour for sitting, this unripe grain.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.